to another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me as always is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? You always put a smile on my face, Jody. I am good. <laughs> I see what you did there with the intro. Oh, uh, yeah. So creative. Yeehaw. I'm good. How are you, man? I am feeling hot. Feeling very hot. I was just outside playing pickleball against a professional pickleball player and did fairly well. Can't complain. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. You told me the score here. So what, what's the score on uh, today's uh, pickleball tournament? I lost 11-10. Well, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, it's not considering bad. Considering the competition. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Sucks to be ahead and then lose at the end, but yes. Well, that's what experience does for you. And speaking of experience. Yes, there's experience. We're talking about warm mixes today. And what does it mean yeah. to you and I? Let's kick it off with you. Well, obviously, it's one of those adjectives that we like to describe stuff that means probably something different to everybody. Mm -hmm. But when I think of a worn mix, I think of a mix where not everything is like super hyped in the high end. I think of something that sounds a little bit not necessarily dull, but not everything has that super brightness. I'm not confusing this with a muddy mix, mm -hmm. but something that is a little bit cozy. That's not going to hurt you if you touch it. It's going to, you know, <laughs> wrap Listen to you up all in these a warm adjectives blanket. that you're throwing out. Yeah, I'm trying to describe as best as I hear that. But perhaps a little bit on the throwback side would be a good way to think about it. Uh -huh. But that doesn't mean that we can't do modern productions with that without it sounding like it was recorded in 72. Sure. So how's that for a vague answer? What about you? <laughs> yeah, you can't get much more vague than that. For me, I would liken it to putting on a vinyl record without the vinyl. That to me would be warm. Okay, so just the crunchy, dusty needle scraping across something? <laughs> no, 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 no. You take the vinyl noise out of the audio recording and you've got oh, thank a you warm mix from that, that yeah. particular era that you know vinyl was so popular. Mm. Yes. That would be my definition of what a warm mix might be. Okay. But you are not a vinyl guy. You no. haven't done that thing. And you were certainly not one of those that early on were talking about, oh, digital sounds so harsh. And oh, no, no, no. I was of the mindset immediately when digital came out after recording on tape that digital literally was a mirror that gave you back exactly what you gave it. So if you gave it crap, it gave you back crap. Yes. And, <laughs> and if you didn't give it warm, well. cool shit, you didn't get back warm, cool shit. Things have changed since that era, but yes. I agree. Because I think what people were probably conflating a bit at that point, and of course, digital technology and converters of things have grown with leaps and bounds since the beginning, mm -hmm. like according to DAW. But I think people were thinking that there was a broader frequency range. Mm, to I think a certain it was degree. more there That's was not... a lack of coloration that was automatic from recording to tape. That's right, what, what I think it is. Right, but what that did was that it essentially rolled off certain high frequencies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I'm saying, that the breadth of, of the high end was not as crispy because you you couldn't. It was limitations in the technology. So I think that was something that made people say, oh, it sounds cold or harsh or it's not as warm. Mm -hmm. And we're going to actually touch a little bit on that today, how that kind of 
goes together, or at least in my mind, how that goes together. You walk it through the path. I'll I'll follow along. All right. Well, the first <laughs> thing I'll I'll say then is like, is is this always something that we should shoot for? Is this always desirable? Should we try to get a warm mix on everything that we do? Well, the answer to that is no, because sometimes when you shoot, if you shoot yourself in the foot, it's not a good thing. Having a warm mix in a particular style that's not known for warm mixes is probably not a wise idea. Yeah, I think of this as something that we always used to say that is very style dependent or context dependent or content dependent even. Boy, right? lots of adjectives you're throwing out today. Did you get a thesaurus? I did. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> if you imagine like a um, indie rock track mm -hmm. versus like a modern EDM track, mm -hmm. you would probably be more akin to think about a warm mix when you think about an indie rock track as opposed to like an EDM track, which tends to get really polished and have this massive low end and crispiness in the high frequencies, right? Yeah. So there's something that if you're dealing with a certain style of music, another example, I guess, would be like a, a modern pop track versus like a, a grungy kind of throwback rap type of thing, right? Mm -hmm. It is very style dependent. It's not appropriate for everything. It is something that if a client asks for that, we want something more warmer. We want it to be like Orange. Artist. <laughs> yeah, XYZ, right? But you can communicate a little bit and make sure that you can deliver that. What's the first thing that comes to mind here? If that's our goal, we want it to be like a warm type of production and assuming that we're a part of the recording stage here as well, right? What's the first thing that you, you tend to go for? Budget, no option? Yeah, let's say budget, no option. But even if it is, I think we can probably get a little bit more general than this. But let's say budget, no option, and you're making this happen. All right. Well, the first thing you're going to do, or at least that I would do, is get some really, really nice microphones. Mm -hmm. That's like the very first thing. You can get all the coolest mics on the planet from RCA ribbon mics, which are stupid expensive, down to C12s to... TLM 103s to U67s and 87s and all kinds of things of that nature that have the classic era value of being full-bodied would be a good way of saying it. Yeah, the sort of more general thing I was looking at here is that it obviously starts at the recording stage and appropriate instrumentation, right? And like you mentioned, mics, right? Have yeah. that mic, choose that. What's well, the first thing that's, that's going to capture the instrument that you're talking about is a microphone. So you got to have a suitable right. microphone for that. And I think especially when it comes to vocals and things, mm -hmm. right? Having a mic that maybe doesn't have all that super sizzle on top, right? Can help you get there. Something that sounds appropriate and that warm, that adjective. Here's an example in a microphone sense. And we're going to use a vocal idea in regards to this. In doing a mic shootout at one point, I found that there was a very, very close similarity between a GT200 and a U87. The very point where the difference fell apart is in the super high end where it got super brittle on the GT200, but it stayed real nice and smooth on the U87. But the price difference between those two microphones is thousands of dollars. Sure is. <laughs> then if you take and compare the U87 to, say, a C12, 
The C12's high end is even smoother sounding than the U87's, but it's like probably less than 1% of the world is ever going to notice it. But again, there's now thousands of dollars in difference in price <laughs> yeah. to go from the U87 to the C12. So that's why I choose the microphone as being the first point of where you're going to think about your warmth on your mix, especially for live instrumentation. Yeah, anything that you put a microphone in front of, whether that's a guitar cab or anything, we want to consider this at the at the recording stage that, that we're getting the sound that we we intend to get, right? That just helps the mixer, if that's you or whoever that is, just make those decisions easier when it comes uh, to mix time. Yes. Mm. Yes, yes, also, yes. Bringing up guitars there. Also, even if we're using amp sims here, right? Hopefully we receive a DI track with this as well, but also the choice of amp sims here, where sometimes in the high end, again, there they can start like falling apart and they sound brittle and just like noisy and all that kind of stuff. So choosing good tones, again, if you have that and you already have the DI as a mixer, you can just kind of reamp that as it is. Things to keep in mind anyway. Well, the next tool in the chain, if I'm going mm -hmm. down the mic line here and right. even your amp sim concept here, is the mic pre indeed a yeah. good mic pre is going to help that mic sound really awesome that's the second choice that i would think of in terms of a tool and of course uh vacuum cables <laughs> <laughs> no i'm not even gonna go there don't even go there that's, inside joke yes it's terrible don't don't vacuum your cables I, I don't have another joke for that, so I'm just going to continue. <laughs> just leave it and yeah. Move on. All right. I will. Okay. So let's say that everything has been captured sort of appropriately, right? With warmth in mind, you're saying. With warmth in mind and as best as can be. And also, of course, if you don't have an unlimited budget and you have the gear that you have, that's what you have to use, right? So hopefully, some of these other things that we're going to talk about now will help you deliver that. Yes, but Mixed we were result. talking about budget, no option here, so it's all good. Well, when you were going over yes. it, but I'm saying like it's not like you can't produce a warm mix without a budget, no option. There's true. There's, so, yeah, that's true. So, so bouncing into the mixing stage of this, you've now said you've been given appropriate tracks that have been, quote unquote, warmly recorded. What do you do? What are you looking at? At least appropriately recorded. Mm -hmm. um, my first tool is EQ when it comes to this. And it takes a little bit of a mindset here as well, because if we just start taking away high end, I'm not sure that you're achieving the warmth so much, except as a muddy, unclear mix. What I would do, or I would suggest is picking what it is that's gonna be the focal point. If it's a vocal song, it's probably the, the vocal. And letting that have as much high frequency as needed, but not everything might have to live up there. So let's say that if you're with your overheads or whatever, maybe you get to use a little bit of a low cut, maybe perhaps 10K, maybe even lower, but you're probably gonna start getting into a little bit of mud there. Same thing with electric guitars. Don't be afraid to roll off some of that high end, but let the vocals stay up there. So you still have that presence and it doesn't sound like somebody just threw a blanket over your speakers, right? 
that would be my first thing when you kind of warm things up and especially distorted guitars, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. There's very little of value up there anyway. That would be my first sort of weapon of choice there or tool, at least in this case. Right? Okay. I'll start with EQ. How would you deal with that? Do you have a conflicting idea on that or? I don't know if it's so much conflicting as maybe my mentality or my approach comes from a different angle. And what you're describing is more of how I start placing various instruments into the mix regardless. I'm not always going to be high EQing, uh, high-end EQing above, say, the 1K, 2K, 3K, 5K mark on everything. Generally speaking, it depends on the instrumentation and where it needs to live. So I might be lopping off low end. I might be lopping off high end. I might be lopping off both depending on where everything needs to sit. It also is very dependent on how dense the mix is. Because if there's like a hundred items going on, you need to find a little niche for every single one of those items. So your EQing becomes substantially different, right? Sure. But I get where you're coming from by saying what you're saying because you want to give a specific instrument focus. But I always tend to think about that regardless of whether I'm going for a warm mix or a super hyped mix kind of thing. Well, absolutely. I'm not arguing that point at all. My way was just talking about how this might be different from any other situation, right? Mm -hmm. And if you have all that high-frequency information in everything – which is something that I would strive for on, on a regular project because uh, I like that. Now, obviously, things have to sit where they're supposed to be and something is going to take charge, right? Mm -hmm. But perhaps being a little bit more judicious with a roll-off there just to kind of take away some of that air, I think, can make something sound a little bit warmer. Sure, that can work. In mix. So, but then you bring up a good point because clarity and all that kind of stuff as well is not going to take a back seat because then you just end up with a sludgy, dull-sounding mix, right? <laughs> right? So working with the mids there, with the mid-range and stuff, to make sure that we have that clarity where, where that might live, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say there's a lot of damage there in like the 1K to 2K to 3K mark, right? Yep have to be really judicious there as well. But my point with EQ to make something warmer is perhaps to start with a little bit more of a roll off on the height and then you might be doing on just your everyday mix type of thing. Sure. And with that, we'll take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. And we're back and we're moving on to the next little piece of the puzzle when mixing to get this concept of warming up mixes going. What do you got, Chris? I like overdrive and distortion. You don't That's say. Not, I do say. And if you're a frequent listener to the podcast, first, thank you. But then you know that we say that a lot, sometimes half-jokingly, sometimes not. To warm something up and essentially just adding harmonics, which is something that overdrive and distortion does, it can, by its very nature, take care of the high end that might sound a little bit harsh and just add a little bit of crunchiness to that, which can give that sort of sense of warmth to the instrument. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about adding massive amounts of gain here and just completely destroy something, but adding a little touch of overdrive or something to a source can make it just feel a little bit more pleasant. 
where it's appropriate. A pinch of yeah, a pinch of overdrive. I like to do this on a lot of sources. I like to sometimes do it on vocals, which Mm -hmm. sounds wow, that's kind of weird, but not necessarily in an industrial Trent Reznor kind of way. Just adding a little bit of that. That's something that I use a fair bit to give a little bit of simultaneous attitude actually to to things. Right, you can just uh, make it sound less pristine. Do you ever use that at all? Distortion? Overdrive? Yeah, distortion. Yeah, besides on the usual suspects. Like, yeah, obviously, like, of course. Yeah. Well, not 100% like of the time, but I do it. Right. I've done it on Where vocals. Do you... I've done it on drums. I've done it on bass. I've done it on synths. I've done it on strings. I've done it on pianos. I've done it on every, pretty much any instrument. So that's a big fat yes then, in other words. <laughs> yes, it is a big fat yes, but it's not 100% of the time that I ever do it. Right. Well, it's when needed, right? Of course. Right. Just, yeah. Okay. We mentioned at the top, you mentioned tape. I did mention tape when it came to describing the concept of recording and warmth at the very beginning. Yes, I did mention that. How do you like to use tape emulation? You kind of use it all the on time. just about every mix, right? I yeah. do. No, it's it's 100% now. Yeah. Yeah. And as I was having a discussion with a set of friends in a fairly famous band last night, actually, who played here just yesterday and hadn't seen them in a while. And we were having this discussion and I had mentioned the podcast and the recording and some other things. And they started talking about, well, man, you know, digital's just, they've had the old digital adage that it's not as warm. <laughs> and I had to bring up the fact that we do have tape plugins that are very much like recording with tape without all of the nasty effects of having to take care of a tape machine. And they were like, mind blown. They're like, really? They have these things? Like, yes, they do have these things. My favorite is the Studer tape emulation from Universal Audio. I use it as if I were recording directly to uh, whatever channel tape machine that I dream up, whether it's 24 track, 48 track, 68 track, 148 track, it doesn't matter. I use tape emulation. It is my thing. I like it. And you print with it as well, don't I you? I do. I do print right. with so it as you, well. You but I use, it. when you talk about print, I'm not sure if you're talking about printing the multi-track or no, I'm talking, talking about, about on, the two-track. On the way in. Yes, yeah, I do. I'm talking about on the way in. On the way yeah, in, I print recording. on the way in as if I'm printing straight to a tape machine, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then that. you add it again on, on the mix. Your, as if I'm mix. mixing from the tape. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you put it, obviously, just on your master bus, on your music bus, or do you put it no, on your master? I, how do you do once it? Once I've done that point, I do not do it until the mastering stage. If I'm mastering something, I pretend like I'm running it through a ATR two-track. Mm. Okay, so if you're not mastering the song and you're just mixing it, because it's already baked in. It's in already the baked into the tracks that I've right. done, yeah. Right. Okay. Right. And you do that obviously because of what it adds, right? And uh-huh. you feel like it, it gives you that little extra mojo. And- it's the extra mojo that I like on my mixes. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't do it on every track. I do it. It's very much a, uh, obviously a sound for me as well. Mm-hmm. And it sometimes is appropriate and sometimes it's not. Well, the fun thing that I like in comparison to the era of actually recording with 
Studers, which mm-hmm. I'm happy to say I never got the full value out of doing that, which is a pleasure to me for some reason. The thing that is cool with using, say, the universal audio version of it is they have four different tape emulations. And they also have multiple IPS speeds. And for those that yeah. don't know, there were a plethora of different tape formulations and every tape formulation required its own biasing with a tape machine, which gave you a different EQ curve while you were recording. And for tape speed, it also is how much noise and hiss you're going to get essentially while you're recording on a tape machine. The faster the tape speed, the less hiss you're going to get. More tape is being used for less information, which apparently makes it sound better. It's not even apparent. It is actually that. I heard a um, great analogy and description of that at one point called Peter McIan, who did Men at Work and all this kind of stuff. And he was talking about different tape speeds and his way of describing it is if you imagine a train pulling into a station and you're standing there on the platform with a spray can as the train is passing, Mm -hmm. the slower the train is passing, the more spillage there's going to be from your paid can. If it's going by in super speeds, the color of the paint at this point coming from the spray can is going to be less spread out just by the nature of how the train is passing. Mm-hmm. So that made a lot of sense to me how to kind of like wrap my head around that. I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense, right? All right. Take that for what it is. Now I've shared it, so you live with it. Now. But that's, <laughs> Great. But that made sense to me why the faster tape speed picks up less noise. Though. Sure. Well, moving on from tape emulation, because we've kind of beat that horse to death, what are other things that we can do to kind of add this concept of analog warp in our digital world? Well, leaning a little bit more on your analog emulation and your plugins. Mm -hmm. When it comes to your, besides the tape, obviously, your EQs and your compressors and that type of thing, they're going to impart something there that was inherently analog, which was noise and that type of thing. and, And that can you know, make it have a certain sound, in this case, a warmth that you may or may not notice on one track, but it it probably builds up over the size of your project. It's the same sort of thing with the console emulations that you can get now. You can essentially build out a DAW to have a console set up. And the beauty of it is just like the tape emulation I was talking about, and I actually didn't dive into it too heavily with that, was that you could choose different tape formulations and and tape speeds for various instrumentations. Like if you wanted a really grungy, dirty sounding set of drums, you could run it through 256, I believe is the tape formulation at a really slow IPS. And by the same token, you can use a console emulation like a Helios, which is a good console emulation, but as a very vocal type of console emulation that has an insane amount of character to it comparatively to say an SSL 9000, which has an entirely different, very clean, very clinical kind of character to it. Absolutely. And that's something that I've gone through and tried out with, because I'm a Slate user, we got the virtual console collection, right? So if I'm going that route, well, there's different emulations. And Flipping through those, there's one that is a Trident Mm -hmm. that is obviously an older console, and that would have a drastically different sound than a Neve or an SSL, whether that's a 4000E or G. Also, from other plugins that might use a console emulations, 
if you're going for like a really warm mix, mm -hmm. I'm probably not going to use an SSL 9000J. No, not like Because it, it's sort of like that super pristine sound, right? Mm -hmm. Then you might go for something like a Trident or just another, an older SSL, like a, a 4000E or something. Other things that we can use in terms of the way we would approach getting that sound in a mix is emulations of reverbs and delays as well. Absolutely. That's something that I do part of my workflow anyway, not to be afraid of EQing the reverb returns. And same thing with delays, right? And if you have the emulation now, you're a UA guy. I know you really like the Lexicon 224, mm -hmm. right? Simply by using something like that, it would, because it, it's not going to have the full frequency spectrum there necessarily, right? Because right. it's an accurate emulation of an older reverb. That can be a good choice as well. But if you don't have an emulation of that, is to think about just rolling off a lot of the reverb. Possibly. Right. Well, and if you're time. going for something that's a little bit more modern, like the Neoverb from Isotope, yeah. that actually has the ability when you go through its AI, if you're trying to figure out the type of reverb, you can choose a darker sounding reverb and it will automatically deal with that for you, which is nice. Yeah, that's a really nice touch. And just the fact that it does it for you, it's like, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talk about Especially speed, pinch, baby. Get right? it done fast. All right. Absolutely. And then, of uh, course, with delays as well, a lot of emulations of older delay modules and tape emulation delays as well, like tape delays, not tape emulation delays, but tape delays. Help yeah. Getting that delay sound that sounds a little bit more warm. I like the tape delay in Logic, actually, I think is, is a – Pretty good tape delay as well. Just the way it sounds, it's super accurate. I don't mm -hmm. know, but it sounds good to me. Mm -hmm. And again, they're rolling off some of the high end and making that sit. And maybe even on, just to sort of go back and tie this together where we started with the vocals and stuff, right? Okay. Even if you choose to have that clarity and that breathiness of a vocal by having perhaps a more aggressive EQ on the reverb, for said vocal, mm -hmm. right? can make that sound a little bit warmer as opposed to just really, really pristine and getting all that room sound right back in your face. Right so, back in your face. We mentioned a few things here, but what are your favorite tools when it comes to this? I mean, you mentioned the, the Studer emulation. You mentioned yeah. the Helios. I did. You mentioned Neoverb. Uh, well, yeah, Neoverb isn't such a, as an emulation of anything. It's a modern digital reverb, but it has the ability to do warmer, darker types of sounds if you tell it to. Right. So. But outside of those that you mentioned, do you have anything else that you're kind of going to? Let's say somebody, a client is coming to you and, hey, Jody, I want this to be a really warm sounding mix. Anything initially that you do? Well, the first thing I would ask is what their reference for warm is. And I would ask them to give me several different artists or several different recordings that they're thinking of as in the ballpark. Once I know that, then I can go and do some actual research. And then I would research what the engineer or producer used in said recordings, if it's findable, so yeah. that I can possibly pull up those plugins that emulate that gear and just use yeah. that stuff. And that will get me as far into the ballpark as I can get without going and spending thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of dollars to get the exact gear that they used. Because again, 
the warm thing, that is a moving target. And it probably means different something completely different. different. Yeah, on different days and what have you. So mm-hmm. that communication is key there. Definitely. I would agree with that. And with that, we'll move on to our Friday Finds. Chris, what have you got for us this week? You're asking me like you don't already know. And when I told you, you were like, what? You're going with that? But now I'm <laughs> going to share it with with, <laughs> with our listeners. And I did some library stuff this week, and I decided to give the Logic Drummer another try. Uh-oh. I am an avid tune track user. I love tune track. I love Superior Drummer. In this case, I just needed something really quick and I'm like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to use Logic and see what I can do with it. And I used the Logic Drummer and I got to say I got to tip my hat to it, man, because what it actually <laughs> sounded like it was I could make it work. There. So Oh, I think uh, my brain just melted and came out my ears. Yeah. Did that really happen? Did I just say the Logic Drummer? But I did. Yeah, so that that's my it's not necessarily a fine, but let's say it's my tip of the hat Okay. for this episode. What about you? What do you have? I'm going with something unique here. Well, not necessarily unique, but there is a company called Sample Sun. It almost sounds Japanese the way I just said that, but it's Sample Sun, two words melded into one. And Isn't they that have- a, a comedy on TV in the 70s? <laughs> Samson Sample and Sun. Sun. Yeah, Sample, Sample and Sun. Sun. There you go. Yes, yeah, a 70s comedy. They have created a grand piano plugin that is a total of 60 megabytes to its installation. But supposedly, supposedly, this sounds like a piano that has 30 gigabytes worth of samples. Now, they say that their technique for how they've done this is meticulously rebuilding it using math algorithms. Uh Uh-huh. They claim that it is highly accurate and that there is full decay for every single note with up to 90 seconds of decay in the low notes with no looping and no velocity switching. That's impressive to me. They also have added the ability to control levels of the release feel of the piano key and mechanical noise. So you can adjust the responses on all of this stuff just like you would on a high-end piano recreation from say vsl wow yeah it's pretty crazy so that is going to be my pick of the week and right now i believe the offer for it is an introductory price of 60 dollars from the sampleson website at the time of this recording that is correct while we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. You'll get weekly reminders about the Tuesday tips when they come out, and we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes of the podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the word warmth, and you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or a suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page, and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. With that, I'll say see you next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good one, Jody. Jody.